Hello, Rich Bolas here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who supports the podcast by writing a review on Apple, as it helps loads. I read every review, and it's always great to know that an episode has resonated with you. So, big hug and heartfelt thanks. Now, today, I have Dale Davidson on the show. Dale is the founder of the Ancient Wisdom Project, which is a series of experiments where Dale dedicated 30-day periods to practicing, studying, and reflecting on a single ancient philosophy or religion with the hopes of achieving personal growth. I found this conversation with Dale fascinating, and I hope you do too. Dale Davidson. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. I am very excited to discuss uh, being a dad with you. Let's see <laughs> see if we can share anything I learned, and hopefully it's useful for your listeners. Yeah. Can you explain to us just uh, how long you've been a dad, uh, how many kids you've got, Dale? Well, as far as I know, I only have one kid. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's a little over two years old. We had her during the pandemic. Her name is... Uh, Sloan. And uh, since then, it's been quite the wild ride and journey. <laughs> I can imagine. What was what was pandemic pregnancy like and, and getting to hospitals and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so she was born in June 2020. And uh, so that was a few months into the pandemic. So it was a very strange experience. But um the hospitals were great. I think the main thing we were concerned about was whether or not we, uh, whether I, as the father, would be let into the room because they were yeah. limiting the number of uh, people at the time. But fortunately, I, uh, they softened up on some of those uh, rules. So, I, you know, I got to be there for the birth and that was fantastic, uh, if exhausting, and got to meet my daughter. And there was a crazy uh, experience. And I don't know if this is the same for all of your listeners, but uh, we kind of went into lockdown mode anyway with the newborn. So it, yeah. <laughs> just everyone else joined us with, uh, with COVID. So, um, so it was an experience. I, I did have one friend that actually yeah. said that being in lockdown was a blessing for them because it kept, it, it allowed them to actually normalize what being parents were before the onslaught of everybody visiting and all the yeah. in-laws and everyone staying with them because they were definitely introverts. And, and for them, that, yeah. that would have just been totally overwhelming. Absolutely. Yeah. Keeping the in-laws away uh, for a little bit is is certainly helpful. <laughs> There's nothing to say. The, the, we we all know the in-laws are amazing, so let's we're not disparaging yeah. them. But I think I think um, it, it's almost like those first few hours as well, isn't it? Like holy smoke, there's been like one of the biggest changes in your life, and and all of yeah. a sudden you only have this very small window where you actually get to take a breath, and it's you. And so, yeah, like, oh man, this this huge transformation. And then there's this huge party around you as well. I can imagine it would just blow most people's minds. It was quite surprising. And the cliche which we experienced, and I agree with, is that I can't believe they're letting uh, us us take this kid home, and we don't know anything. And uh, we found out even six months later that we had been putting Sloan in the car seat all wrong. So <laughs> from, from yeah. someone else, they're like, that doesn't, that doesn't look right. And I was like, Oh, okay. So six months later, we finally got her safe in the car. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so I, think, I think we should have had to, I think we should have had to pass uh, some sort of test. 
Yeah, I, I almost think like putting a car seat in a car needs to be part of your like uh, DVLC exam when you actually get your license because it's just, you know, it's one of the things that's actually really easy once someone's shown you, but it's almost like mm-hmm. a dark art beforehand. I don't know if you've experienced this for all the kids' equipment. There's just so many straps and levers and bands and they promote them as, oh, you can use them and they're adjustable at all ages, but it just adds more complexity oh, uh so totally. I, I get frustrated yeah we we were actually in the shop and i couldn't collapse this certain pram and i was like what is it like this is a pram this is supposed to be able to be done uh you know with sleep uh-huh. depri- deprived people and i'm an engineer i can't even do this thing and the lady walked up gave me a a sort of a a rolling eye look and she twisted the handle and all of a sudden the whole thing collapsed and i was like oh yeah naturally yeah because there was no indication there was no sort of a sign that that was the way you do it of course yeah why why didn't i think to do that so <laughs> yeah it, it's you not the uh not the stroller there so. that's right uh, <laughs> although i did have one friend who was so tired one one uh day that she got the she had the uh, her child with her um she i think she probably had, i think she said she still had a dressing gown on or something she'd gone to the supermarket in a slippers dressing gown with the child but she could not collapse the pram for, to save a life and so she was that tired she just pushed it in the bush and drove home and when her husband came home she was like oh yeah can you go get the pram from the supermarket so... no. uh, yeah. no, classic, classic classic experience yeah yeah sleep deprivation gotta love it so, Dale, the reason why I wanted to get you on the show is to describe the project that you've been working on, the Ancient Wisdom Project. Can you describe exactly what that is and why you started it? Yeah, absolutely. So around 2014, 2015, uh, I've been a few years into all the personal development genre type of books and advice. So I started reading Tim Ferriss, all sorts of business books, and I was finding, ah, uh, a lot of this stuff is a lot harder to implement and pull off successfully than I thought. So I was getting a little frustrated. So I wanted to turn to a new source of advice. And I decided to look into ancient wisdom traditions, things that have survived for centuries and specifically over 500 years old, which was somewhat arbitrary. But I figured if something has survived for more than 500 years, it probably has something to teach us. So what I did was I constructed these sets of 30 days experiments where I would pick one tradition or religion like Stoicism or Islam or uh, Judaism and Taoism. And I would try to adapt uh, adopt one practice from that uh, tradition with the hopes of cultivating a particular virtue. Uh, so for example, for my uh Islam month, I would pray five times per day uh, with the hopes of cultivating humility. Uh, or my Catholic month, I went to mass uh, most days per week with the goal of cultivating compassion. And then with like Stoicism month, I took ice baths every day for 30 days uh, just to develop some sort of mental toughness or just to observe what would go on uh, in my brain. Um, and, I, and what I learned was, uh, yes, in fact, it does have a lot to teach us and is a superior source of lots of life advice, uh, even for a modern, non-religious, very secular person like me, who's very rational, doesn't believe in all this. So 
that's the that was the initial construct of the project. And what were some of the prize, some of the surprises that uh, you came across? I think one lesson I learned was that some types of knowledge are only attainable by doing it or practicing it. And I'll give you an example. Uh, so during my Islam month, like I said, I was, I was praying five times per day. And it may seem kind of silly, especially if you don't believe in, in, in God or, or, or if you're not Muslim. And what I what surprised me the most about myself was that after doing it for a couple of weeks, it's like, hey, I kind of want to be a better Muslim. And as I was learning more about Islam and, and uh, learning what they value, you know, charity, um, living up to certain virtues, I was like, oh, okay, how can I do it? And while we might all agree that those are good things to be charitable and kind and, and all that, to really feel that you have to have, have done it to feel it at a, at a core level. Um, and I had many lessons like that where you have to you have to do it uh before you can before you can really uh understand it yeah and, and acknowledge it similar yeah. sorry i was just gonna say it made me think of do you think it's like daniel kahneman sort of system one system two where you know it's one thing to think it but the the other part of your body is like to sort of implicitly know it and and fully you know the the different way of thinking about it completely or knowing it uh, yeah, I, I agree. It would be as if you were trying to learn to uh, ski or some other some other sport or something like that. And if you were just to read in a book about how to switch, uh, you know, how to put on your skis, how to swing, I, I don't actually ski, so I don't know, uh, <laughs> or, or swing a baseball bat. But then you actually get into, uh, you actually put on your skis. It, you have to feel it, and then later you may connect some of the some of the concepts you read uh, to what you were doing. But then you would feel it. Uh, I, I think that is the case with a lot of these religions that seem inaccessible to uh, the modern person who maybe didn't grow up uh, with the religion or who never practiced or who's just, you know, by choice, uh, totally secular in, in their in their lifestyle. Do you think, especially in the modern world as well, looking in, I mean, yeah. it definitely feels like we're in society, we're pretty, pretty well siloed. Like it's very hard to, uh, you know, sort of transition from one to the other, whether that's being secular, moving into religion or, or back and forth or between them. It's, it seems like very l huge life events to do that. And do you think there's really something to in actually experience a bit of everything, but actually living it for a while? So you actually get a much better understanding of it. And, and therefore, there's that sort of level of tolerance as well and an appreciation for what you know the other other groups of people are are working on yeah i i think it would be difficult to obviously i, I chose the project myself and, and did these things for 30 days and i think you can get a lot uh a lot from that um and i do think there are lots of benefits to potentially integrating yourself with uh people with totally different lifestyles and and you know that's the reason right people travel or study abroad and um to get a sense of that i think you would have to go into it kind of with that in mind though and not just have a fun vacation and and, <laughs> yeah. and uh you know kind of kind of be a little bit of a tourist i, I found that 
while the actions were important, uh, trying to study study the actual philosophies or, or texts behind it were necessary, um, but they weren't, neither would be sufficient on their own. Yeah, I, I think that would go back to that sort of reading about something and not fully knowing it. Yeah. And, and and then you would just be like a tourist, yeah. which, you know, would be yeah. not, not, should we say, as uh, um, sensitive to the other people's beliefs and, and what they're doing. Right. Out of all the different traditions and religions you looked at, were there any that sort of really did sort of gravitate towards you that that you were like, oh man, I can't believe I've you know not really come across that before or that sort of thing? Yeah, I I think there were kind of two traditions, like kind of one more philosophical and the other an actual uh, religion that you could commit to. So I really enjoyed my uh, Catholicism month and. Uh, for that, I was going to mass um, most days. And for most people who aren't familiar, mass is, is kind of a uh, ritualist thing you do at church. The priest performs a ceremony. You drink uh, the blood and body of Christ. Um, and then there's usually some text reading and a homily. It's like going to church, uh, if, if you would think about that. And what I liked about that was it would get me out of my own head based on its teachings and because the whole thing is based on, all right, how do you become a better Christian or follower of Christ? And again, I'm not Christian, but just the fact that it would force me to think about how could I live up to these ideals that seem very meaningful and deep got me out of thinking, uh, what am I going to do for my own career or how can I make myself happier or make more money? And it was honestly, it was a bit of relief to uh, get that get that feeling. Um, I also like that it had long uh, intellectual history as well. You have lots of theologians, Thomas Aquinas, and modern modern uh, writers as well. Um, so it has really has a rich intellectual history, and people who have also kind of these like very vivid spiritual uh, experiences with with Catholicism. Um, of course, has its flaws too. Um, so that was one. And then I really enjoyed kind of the Eastern philosophies represented by like Hinduism and uh, and Buddhism. And not because I think they're more, I, I think they're particularly powerful religions for me personally or philosophies, but rather uh, I love the idea of a contrast to Western culture, which is kind of all about elevating the ego and very make yourself the center of the universe but for them for for uh followers of eastern philosophy it's more about understanding your ego is not you and trying to get outside of that a little bit yeah the last point is really i mean really important and i think um there are a, a lot of sort of people like Locke Kelly and Richard C. Schwartz starting to talk more about mm -hmm. sort of letting go of the ego. Uh, and, and, you know, mm -hmm. it's almost like modern day society encourages that, doesn't it? You know, yeah. to be very <laughs> self, self-centered and, uh, in, you know, in, yeah. in different language, but obviously it, it feels mm -hmm. like there's this, this movement of, of realizing that the ego is not the way to paraphrase Ryan holiday. And once we can pass through yeah. that, it also seems like it's very hard to do on your own. Whereas if you're in a community yeah. of people that are working towards that and you have a whole system yeah. around you that actually helps you do that, you can see how mm -hmm. it would be quite liberating and, and really helpful. Now, talking... Yeah, when you, 
Sorry. Oh, so I was going to say, when you, yeah, when you think about it, I, I feel like it's very unnatural to think about your own needs and isolation all the time, which uh, I, I think we're trained to do in kind of modern Western uh, society, which is, okay, how are you going to, move, you know, get into a good school, get a good job, you know, move up the career ladder if that interests you, or even, even if you're going off the path a little bit, like how, how can I get the best side hustle, be the best entrepreneur, every, every, everything kind of fetish, fetish sizes, uh, egocentric activities. And it, I think that causes a lot of distress, uh, personally, if you're, if you're in it for that, for that much. It's a lot to carry, isn't it? Like if you have mm -hmm. all the weight on, on your shoulders, yeah. I mean, I suppose some people would look at it as like, yes, this is my, my sort of, you know, hero's <laughs> journey, but <laughs> I, I think sure. it, it can be totally overwhelming, at, certainly at certain times of your life. I mean, um, yeah. just harking back to, you know, fatherhood and, and being a parent, mm -hmm. obviously it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. But I think when we're in these little, you know, sort of nuclear families and mm -hmm. we just bear all the responsibility, that can actually be overwhelming as well. And and what, mm -hmm. what did you sense from the tradi tra traditions and religions around community and how they brought has sort of they lent on community yeah so that was one of the weaknesses of what i what i found about like stoicism which was you know it, it was very individualistic like you care you carry it all in your head right and while there may have been communities of stoics back in the day and even to the extent today there there might be um i don't think it ever became embedded into a community such as you know, Catholicism or Islam or, or Judaism. Um, so with Judaism, for example, uh, one of the ideas, uh, one of the practices is called Shabbat or the Sabbath. Um, it goes from sunset Friday to sunset uh, Saturday night. And the idea is that you don't do any work and to various levels of strictness uh if you're very orthodox you can't even turn off or turn on a light or take an elevator or things like that because it's in their electronic circuits or whatever in it um but the idea is you refrain from work and you create this uh space to separate the uh profane from the sacred and the profane being kind of the rest of the week and then you create this sacred time to think about god but also in practice you spend that time with your friends and family without the distraction of work which is prohibited uh so i think this sort of uh, i think these traditions uh, either intentionally or unintentionally uh created this way of life that would kind of force you to um rely on a rely on the community and uh, i think that's a much more positive way of living even for an introverted person myself who has who gets struggles to make a, you know uh, appointments with friends and things like that so um yeah it's, so it, yeah it, it's super important it's interesting it's almost like uh they foresaw the advent of uh technology taking over everyone's life yeah. isn't it? <laughs> um, i i i think it's i think it's funny that every even previous eras they're probably complaining about oh, all this technology is distracting the printing press yeah you know, books were actually time i want so. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it blows your mind to think what it's going to be like in 50 years' time. We'll look back on, on these uh, these years with, oh, man, it was so easy in those days to, to stay di- you know, non-distracted. <laughs> I, I did. I didn't. I didn't have screens embedded into my eyeballs. Uh, yeah, uh, I literally you know. couldn't turn them off. <laughs> um, so, um, I think going back to that that point about uh, community as well, that's something that as a as a parent you you sort of learn straight away is is very important, mm-hmm. isn't it? Have you found that just in your own life, Dale? Yeah, I. I think it's tough. So my family lives, uh, both our families live uh, far away enough that you have to fly or, or take a day to drive. And I think the difficult part of uh, kind of not, not having them around is that you're, you're constantly, you're constantly the one who has to play all these roles in your in your kid's life. And, uh, as fun as it is to, to play with your, your kid doing it for hours and hours without out relief is definitely tough. Um, and I also think it's not even just family, but also having friends around when we do get the opportunity to hang out with fellow parents, um, knowing that they're, they have experienced similar feelings and, and problems is is very important even if they don't have any good solutions for your for your problems just simply <laughs> know that they can uh empathize just hold space for you. you yeah um i remember there were many nights uh, this is kind of a modern thing but many nights when sloan wouldn't you know was getting up at night and even though we were trying sleep training and all that we'd go on reddit and be like does does anyone have this exact same problem that we do and then we'd be like oh there's at least one random internet stranger (laughs) that that has that exact same problem so that was a uh kind of a comfort kind of example of yeah it was was a comfort so uh, to the extent that you can have that around for you on a consistent basis is important but um i i don't think we're kind of set up for that uh at, at least I'm not set up. I, I'm not set up for that in my my house or where we live or or the jobs we have. So it takes real. If you're going to do it, I think it takes real deliberate decision making to live in a place where you have that and and cultivate that kind of environment. Yeah, and I mean, you've been thinking about making a a big move, haven't you? Like, there's a a big decision brewing yeah. in your family. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about how you actually came to that and actually? Yeah, I remember on our previous chat, you were talking about mm-hmm. how the project has actually helped mm-hmm. with some of that decision-making. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the interesting things I've learned during my Catholic month was that the Jesuits, which is kind of these this um, subset of Catholics, uh, have this kind of decision-making process. And at least in the text I read, it was you know, the Jesuit discernment process, uh, which is kind of a cool way of making big decisions uh in your life and part of it is kind of making this pros and cons list and thinking out the rational implications like if you're getting a new job and we're gonna get paid more what's the work-life balance etc but the other piece of it is paying deep attention to kind of like your gut feelings about a particular decision you're trying to make uh and 
the decision my family and I have made was to move to Portland, Oregon, where my wife's family is from, where her mother and uh, sister still live. And we have a good thing here in the Washington, D.C. area, you know, good work. And so it's not an easy decision. And what we did was we used this method to kind of figure out okay, we can make either situation work, but what what do we really feel? So we're paying attention to what uh, the Jesuits call feelings of consolation and desolation. So the feelings of consolation are these gut feelings where you really feel good and positive, like on a very deep level that this is the right path for you. And the feelings of desolation are kind of reverse where you feel like you're moving away from a deeper source of contentment or rightness, um, going down a certain path. So what I love about the Jesuit process is that they say, do the pros, cons, the rattle, decision make, but also pay attention to your, your deep gut feelings because that may be a direction God wants you to move in. Uh, and there's lots of nuances there. But we did that and we even took a trip to Portland to see how we feel. And there'd be these times where we were just hanging out with, with the family and friends, cooking dinner, whatever it was. And it felt really good. It felt right. And after that trip, we pretty much thought that, yeah, I, I think we do want to make the move. There'll be trade-offs certainly, but overall, that's the uh, direction we want to move in. So normally as a kind of rational data-driven person that you, I might weigh things like jobs or careers or hassle or whatever, but uh, at a gut level, um, we felt that that was the right decision. So uh, we certainly had feelings of consolation and we kind of felt flat when imagining our lives staying here for long periods of time and only seeing our families a few weeks per year, if that. So it was a helpful tool I picked up from uh, one of my uh, experiments done, you know, six six years ago, seven years ago, um, that has direct implications now. Wow, that's cool. I really like that way of of sitting with the decision and and sort of almost listening to your 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 gut, I guess. And I think yeah, it's mm-hmm. so easy to just look at the to do list or the 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 pros and cons list and keep it up in your head when you're making yeah. those sort of big decisions. Yeah. Now, one of the other mm-hmm. things you you touched on briefly was unselfishness as well. And uh, mm-hmm. I like the way you you termed it unselfishing. Can you talk to us a bit about uh-huh. what you came across there? Yeah, so I forget who said it, but a lot of religions just exist to remind you that you're not God, right? Or at least you're not a God. Um, I think similarly, becoming a parent uh, reminds you that you don't live for yourself and at a very gut level. And I use the word unselfishing in the sense, not in the sense that you were selfish because you did things at the expense of others, but rather your life and mind and were consumed only firmly with thoughts for yourself. And I found that when I uh, had Sloan, um, the amount of time I spent thinking about her as a percentage of all my brain energy was like 90% versus 10% 
uh, for myself, whereas before it was probably 90% myself and maybe 10% everyone else in my life. Uh, so in that sense, I think becoming a parent is a act of unselfishing and kind of leads you to think about what you may want uh, for your family and not just for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the way you talk about that because it it makes me think about like when there's a, a counseling situation, when, when, you know, there's, when someone has a problem and they're talking to a counsel counselor, it's a one way street. Mm -hmm. The counselor just makes space for them and then right. they just hear and mm -hmm. take on board and just ask questions. And it's a, it's a very much like holding space for the, the person. And the way you described unselfishing, yeah. it sounds like that's almost like the best way to be a parent sometimes when you are like mm -hmm. a, a receptacle for the, the emotions mm -hmm. and everything to come to you yeah. and, and you don't meet it yeah. with your own emotions. You sort of just receive and just, hear yeah. it and and i think if i'd have known that years ago it would have solved me so many issues of you know sort of you know being triggered and everything with parenting and, and if you just let sit with it and just let it sort of wash over you then i think it, there's something magical mm -hmm. about holding that space for the the child and and i think that's probably one of the lessons i wish i'd have learned le earlier <laughs> yeah you i think you learn it no matter what, uh, <laughs> at some point, you know. Yeah. Well, what other lessons have you sort of learned, do you think, just from this this magical first sort of two and a half years? Sure. Um, I'll try to bring it back to some things that maybe I picked up from ancient wisdom as well. So one example from Stoicism, which is a philosophy that more or less teaches you to accept that there are things you can control and things you can control and maybe some things you can influence and to uh, manage how you react to those different things. Um, and certainly parenting has given me ample opportunity to observe my own mind uh, <laughs> react to different situations. I remember early days when uh, Sloan was not sleeping and would just cry for hours. And this is before we knew she had to take more naps in the, in the beginning of the day. And I was holding her and, and I was thinking to myself, Oh, you're ruining my life. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I feel bad for thinking about that, but I tried to later observe my own mind. It's like, okay, this is because you're fatigued. You know, you can't control the situation. It's best to accept it. So it's just my mind reacting to stress uh and so you get uh, i think the more you can just see just get out of yourself a little bit in these uncomfortable situations um it's a good it's a good stoic practice in fact uh so that's one lesson the other one i kind of draw on from uh taoism and uh taoism is kind of this Ancient. It was more, it was actually cultivated as kind of this uh, guidelines for rulers that this, the principal text was the Tao Te Ching. Um, and it was kind of a guide for rulers. But the idea is that there's kind of this natural flow to the world that you don't control and you shouldn't really fight it, right? So there's this concept called Wu Wei, which loosely translates to non-action. And it doesn't mean don't do anything, but rather it means don't force it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I found like when I was, I've always wanted to have my own business and everything. And I tried out a few different ideas that didn't fail, but the one that worked was 
came from directly related to the job I was doing. And that was kind of an example of not forcing it and having a little bit of success with parenting. It's, it's interesting as much as you want your kid to be a certain way <laughs> or like at least not throw tantrums when you're trying to go somewhere. Sometimes you kind of just have to go with the flow, uh, kind of woo way. And the best response is non-action in a lot of cases, just accept it. Um, yeah, for what it <laughs> totally. Is. I, I, it just made me think back to, yeah. you know, trying to force the bike ride journey. Come on, we've only got like 10 Ks <laughs> to go. It's going to be ace when we get there. And and you've just got to like relinquish any expectation. Otherwise uh-huh. the wheels fall off, you know, figuratively and literally. <laughs> but um yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's hard. I, I think we're so wired for um, trying to control things and, and trying to make things go your way that it's a very unnatural uh, feeling. Uh, and we're wired. Um, and we're us. wired for the destination, aren't we? Whereas I think what what yeah. sort of you, you're describing a lot is is almost like the journey as well, and like you know being present yeah. in the journey. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to the broader uh lesson I, I I kind of took away from um, Hinduism or kind of eastern Eastern philosophy so um, there's kind of a seminal religious text called the Bhagavad Gita and the it's part of an epic and but the Gita is a section of it where Arjuna he's this warrior prince and he has to go to battle with uh, kind of family members that are on the other side for whatever reason. And his charioteer, Krishna, Krishna is a uh, is a god, and he's counseling him on what to do. But the the whole point of it is to kind of realize that your again your ego self is not is not the true self. That there's this broader universal force that you're connected to. And this all sounds kind of you know spiritual bumbo jumbo or whatever. But the way I try to think about it is that we are given these rules to play in this life you know maybe you start you start off as a kid you're you're a student you're a husband whatever and in this case you're a you're a parent or or a father and your job is to do you play this role the best you can and not get too attached to uh the identity your previous identities that you latched on to or your previous you have to think of yourself as a sort of actor in many ways that's been given a new uh you have a new movie or a new yeah. script uh, to follow and your job is to play the part whether the the hard parts or the 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 good parts all of it um and that helps i, I think that helps kind of take this larger perspective on it and saying okay even in the most difficult of times you know my job is just to be there a supporting figure um yeah like my uh daughter had to have surgery fairly early on like at four months old not for anything life-threatening or anything but it was still very nerve-wracking for me and uh while it's hard to be kind of detached emotionally from it you know i I tried to take the perspective that okay this is the part of the movie where my job is to be worried and uh you know, just do what I can to be there and, and, and everything. So, um, so kind of taking that meta perspective is helpful as well and not get, helps you not get too caught up in any single moment that might, um, 
derail you. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really like that sort of perspective, Dale. You know, like yeah. stepping back and going, what is what is the role I I need? I I'm called on to to play right now. What what mm-hmm. what is like? Yeah. You know, and you're not even thinking it of a, like a yeah. director of a film, but the idea that yeah. you, you know, what's the <laughs> shot in golf that I've got to play in front of myself right now? I shouldn't be thinking about the next one. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have been thinking about the last one. I've mm-hmm. got to play the shot right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's it's the reframing there. It doesn't always work. It's sometimes you're, you're just going to be <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. for a while. But uh, uh, I think it's important. Similarly, though, I've found that you could totally everything's very paradoxical in these ancient wisdom traditions, right? It's like you got to zoom out and be all meta about your role, but at the same time, um, speaking of like sacred and profane, you know, there's this. Uh, I found there's been moments as a parent where I'm like, this is like the pinnacle of living. Like I remember one time I was taking care of Sloan. I was just, she was very young. I was just laying there and we're just sitting and, you know, kind of quietly. I was like, this is peak existence, like a, a spiritual moment here. And you're very in it uh, at the time. And you kind of have to, I think diving deeper into those moments is also important rather than just zooming out as well. Yeah. What did you, did you feel like every fiber of your body was just telling you, yeah, this is exactly what you should be doing. This is exactly where you, you are. And, and it's, it's all like total alignment. It, it absolutely is. And I, I, I don't think I ever, I've certainly experienced maybe like some more spiritual moments in my life where, you know, you get some, you're on a hike or on some grand nature scene and you're like, you feel small and you, and you get that feeling of, of, both feeling small and connected, but I think the intensity of being a, a father, it, that, it was like an order of magnitude more more intense and, and deep um, than anything I felt before. So uh, that those are kind of those sacred moments punctuated by many profane moments <laughs> uh, where like this past weekend during potty training, I got peed on uh, several times and uh, had to deal with, you know, crying toddler who doesn't, doesn't want to go somewhere. So, um, so I, I think it's this particular self, you know, through one simple act of becoming a father, you can, uh, experience the full range of human emotions and spiritual connections. And, uh, also just the be humbled grossest. Of yeah. Things. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> yeah. Yeah. The grossest of things are getting back to potty training. Yeah. Like, thinking of yourself before you have before children or bc you'd be like oh man i can't believe like like that person has poo on his fingers like that's that's the most disgusting thing in the world and then, uh, yeah yeah absolutely before i be, yeah before i became a parent i would see friends with kids or even my sister and I'd be like mm, this doesn't seem great but kind of like the uh religion and ancient wisdom traditions you're not going to know what it's really like until you do it. So, um, which is the frustrating answer for non-parents, I think. And, um, I've even told my friends who have decided not to have kids. That's like, okay, I, but I think you're basing it on information that you're not going to have until you do it. So, uh, or you're missing, you're missing this information. So I was, uh, this may, this may offend some people, but I'm kind of like, well, Unless you have a very good reason not to have kids, 
I think you should have kids just so you can experience all this because it is, it is so uh, profound and well, also like difficult. So yeah. <laughs> it's just the full range. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's yeah. it's it's so hard to even begin to explain. And I think I've tried. I've even given up because it's. It is. It's. I think. Yeah. The the way you've described it there, Dale, is is spot on. You know. I think unless there's a really good reason not to, probably the best you know thing is to go for it because yeah. I can't describe how awesome it is and yeah. terrifying and life affirming or or you know challenging, yeah. but it's it's such a a life changing, yeah. life altering thing and and something I think it, it harks back when you were talking earlier. It made me think of like Viktor Frankl sort of in in uh, mm-hmm. Man's Search for Meaning talking about service was the one thing that he found was what you know the, mm-hmm. the human calling was and and i think mm-hmm. service is one of those things that parenting has in spades uh, of sort of connecting you yeah. to you know uh service of another and uh it's definitely something i'm um yeah <laughs> very aware that has has sort of been a, a great training ground should we say well it's just I- it's just forced on you unless you're a total sociopath you're gonna you're gonna do the things you need to do to take care of your kid and the actions themselves will will change you um it's interesting you mentioned kind of service though as a as frankel's path i i'm sure he had children later and and, and grandkids and all that but yeah the church would historically would talk about your vocation and as kind of like what you're called to do in life and pre-modern day era where you had like where you now have like career choice and infinite almost infinite things you can do if you're uh born in a, in a developed modern western country um back then the vocation was oh you can become a priest or get married and and, yeah. and have kids yeah. but like becoming a priest was the alternative to not having you know not getting married and having kids so kind of when my advice was like, if you, unless you have a good reason not to, I think it has to be at the level of, oh, you're going to dedicate your life to God and be celibate. Like that's kind of like the level of thing I think you need to commit to, to get even probably close to the, the level of experience. So I think we can pat ourselves on the back and say we're in this very elite uh, club and that <laughs> we've made the right decision. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm joking. I, uh, th- nothing wrong with not having kids, but th- just my my perspective from the limited time I've I've been a parent. Uh, that, that's my that's my two cents. Well, Dale, I really appreciate your two cents and your ten cents and all the other cents that you've thrown in because it's this this conversation has <laughs> been been uh, mind opening for me. It's it's been really enjoyable. I really appreciate the work you're doing and and uh, just thank you for joining us. No, it's been so fun. Thank you so much for having me. And maybe we can do a follow-up if I uh, learn something new that contradicts everything I, I just yeah, said. Yeah, let's, so. let's see how you go if you have another child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the- I take it back. <laughs> Number two, uh, changed everything. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's such an amazing adventure, isn't it? And I think um, just embracing it and, and yeah, just, just showing up is, is so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I hope you enjoyed this discussion with Dale. If you'd like to check out more about the Ancient Wisdom Project, I'll put all the links in the show notes of the website, thedadmindset.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode and know someone else that might appreciate it too, sharing is a super great way to support the show. Also, if you have any great ideas for guests you'd like me to interview, send an email to rich at thedadmindset.com. Anyway, that's all from me for now. I hope you have a great week and as ever, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. (laughs) 